Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. The Two-Footed Podcast is brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from while keeping your data safe. So as an example, if you are a UK expat and want access to BBC iPlayer to watch Match of the Day or ITV Hub or all four, but you get that message that says this content is not available in your location, a Liberty Shield VPN gets you around that block allows you to watch whatever you want on those services while also keeping your data safe. And it goes further than that. It allows you to open up Netflix's entire library by just changing your IP address. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot with five-star ratings across the board. So go to libertyshield.com right now, use the code EPL25, and get either the hardware package or the software package. The hardware package is a router that you plug into your existing router, and any item you want to change the IP address on, be it your phone or your television, you connect that to the new Liberty Shield router. All other items can remain connected to your existing router. There's also a software package, which is instantly downloadable to your device, and you can get using straight away. Again, libertyshield.com, EPL25 for 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 for 10% off at checkout. And lastly, do remember to check out a Tad Predictable hosted by Tadiwa. That podcast is on this feed before every Premier League match week. And then the EPL Roundtable hosted by Kevin DeVries on its own EPL Roundtable feed. So just search EPL Roundtable in your podcast device. And that's out after every match week. Now, on with the show.
What's good, boys and girls? Two for the podcast on Thursday, the 1st of June. The summer is officially here. The season is almost, almost behind us. We still have, from a UK and Ireland point of view, we still have the FA Cup, we still have Conference League, and we still have the Champions League final. Obviously, other countries might have domestic finals to go as well. The German Cup final still has to be played. I know the Spanish Cup final is done. The French Cup final is done. The Scottish Cup final is this weekend as well. Uh, Celtic against Inverness, Caledonian Thistle. And if Ange Postacoglu is successful and claims a treble, that will give him five trophies since taking over Celtic uh, two years ago which is more trophies than Tottenham have won since 1984, and yet their fans think he's not good enough for them. Interesting. How else will they continue their great history of success without appointing a world-class manager? Unless, you know, maybe he is, and they should just actually look into the man and look into his record and look at how he's improved every single team he's ever taken charge of exponentially. Now, with that said, I don't want him to leave Celtic, so I hope they find somebody else. Anyway, right. We had the Europa League final last night, and it would appear Sevilla's voodoo is stronger than Jose Mourinho's voodoo. Paolo Dybala put Roma one up on 35 minutes with a nice finish after Gianluca Mancini's through ball. And I thought Roma were going to beat them 2 or 3-0 at that point. I really did. Roma were doing what Roma do, doing what a Mourinho team does. They were sitting in, defending and looking to hit on the counter. But they were creating the better openings. But when they scored, they seemed to have decided to stop doing that. Now, it was known before the game that Dybala was carrying a knock. Pellegrini was carrying a knock. And so was Tammy Abraham. So... Roma were trying to conserve energy and they were doing a pretty good job and they were keeping Sevilla at bay until on 55 minutes Gianluca Mancini put the ball in his own net to make it 1-1. From there, Roma had the better chances but Sevilla tried to win the game more. So it was one team attacking quite a bit, one team attacking as and when but the team that attacked as and when did create the better openings. They missed a couple of really good chances. Bellotti missed a great chance. Chris Smalling hit the crossbar with a header in extra time, and it was destined for penalties. You could tell at the start of extra time that this game was either going to end in penalties or end up in a brawl where the referee was forced to send everybody off. It went to penalties... And Roma, because of the injuries that they had, had already taken off Dybala, Abraham and Pellegrini, two, three players that would have taken penalties. So Lucas Acampa steps up first for Sevilla and scores. Brian Cristante steps up and equalises. Eric Lamella scored. Gianluca Mancini missed. Ivan Rakitic scored. Roger Ibanez missed. Gonzalo Montiol missed but then he was allowed to retake it. And in a repeat of the World Cup final, he stepped up and scored 
the winning penalty. What a season for that fella. The winning penalty in shootouts to win a World Cup and win a Europa League. Sevilla, seven-time winners. Seven-time winners of the Europa League. Spanish teams have now won the last 18 European finals in which they have faced a non-Spanish opponent. So the last 18 times it's been Spain versus anybody else, the Spanish side has won. That's a run that stretches back to to the 2002 Champions League final when Real beat Bayer Leverkusen. The last Spanish team to lose a European final, then I'm guessing, would be Valencia losing to Bayern Munich. That is an incredible run. And if you think about it, like, Real have obviously won a boatload of Champions Leagues in that time. Barca won a boatload of Champions Leagues. Atletico Madrid have won two Europa League finals. And they did lose two European finals, but they were one of them, sorry, both of them were two Real Madrid. Villarreal have won this competition. And, and obviously now Sevilla with seven. Seven Europa Leagues in 18 years, no less. And when I see clubs like Sevilla and Villarreal do this, I do often wonder why it is that more mid-level Premier League clubs, the likes of an Aston Villa, a Leeds, I know they're gone down, but I'm talking about the size of the club, an Everton and a Newcastle, why it is that they can't have this kind of success, why it is that they can't get themselves into Europe and go on these runs, why other smaller clubs, because Villarreal are a small club, why can't, you know, I know they're in Europe this year, but Brighton, why couldn't Brighton go and win a competition like this? Crystal Palace, Southampton, all these smaller clubs that work on smaller budgets. Like, there's this idea that they just have to survive. They don't ever t- try and thrive. They just want to be in the division, and that's kind of enough for some of them. The Spanish clubs do, as a whole, seem to have a bit more ambition than the English clubs. Now, again, I know it's, it's easier for these clubs to get into Europe in Spain because the middle and bottom of the Spanish league is weaker than it is in the Premier League. But, you know, when you're Everton and you spent as much money as you have over the last six, seven years, how haven't you had success? How haven't you gotten into Europe a couple of times? How haven't you gone and, and had nights like Sevilla had last night, like they continue to have? Seven Europa Leagues under four different managers. Two for Juan de Ramos, three for Unai Emery. Um, the last one obviously won under Lopetegui when they beat Inter Milan, managed at the time by Antonio Conte, and now Jose Luis Mendelbar. This is the highlight of his career by a considerable margin. Um, prior to this, he had won the Secunda Division with Valladolid back in 2007. As I said yesterday, this is a journeyman manager who's, to be fair, his real 
his real achievements came with Ibar between 2015 and 2011, sorry, and, and 2021. But this is this is by far and away the highlight of his career. Mourinho was not happy at all after the game last night and decided to take umbrage with the referee, who was Anthony Taylor, a referee that we know very, very well. Michael Oliver was the fourth official, and they were dreadful. They were dreadful. Now, the BBC have tried to make out that that they were excellent, that they managed the game very well, but they they didn't at all. Uh, The game went out of control early. Anthony Taylor had no control over the game at all. And Mourinho really did eviscerate Taylor after the game. Mourinho also gave his runners-up medal to a kid in the crowd because Jose doesn't do second place. He doesn't do runners-up medals. That's what separates Jose from a lot of these other managers who, you know, finishes a runner-up sometimes and it's it's cool and they don't care and, they, they you know, they probably bring it home and frame it. Uh, he doesn't want it anywhere near him. Mourinho cares. He cares about winning and he cares about very little else. I think when we look back on Jose's career when he's gone, we'll appreciate him far more because all I saw last night was people whinging and moaning about the style of football. Oh, it's a you know, it's a disgrace the way they're so defensive. Jose wins. And he's won more than your club over his career. Unless your club is Real Madrid or Barcelona, one of which he contributed to. He's won more than your club over the course of his career. I would very much like to see him stay there. I don't know if they will, if he will. He said last night he's going on holiday on Monday. And when he comes back, he'll talk to the club. He told his players that he told the club that he would be open with them if he got an offer. Now, there was talk of offers from PSG, which he has denied. He says the only approach he's had so far was by the Portuguese national team. He spoke about how the players deserve more and he deserves more in terms of financial backing. The problem they have is that they spent a significant amount of money in his first season there. They spent again this past season, and not huge amounts this past season. He'll claim the net spend was very low. But that first season was was a heavy, heavy spend, and not all of it worked out. So they might have a bit of a tight situation this coming summer. There are reports today, Guy has informed me, that Tammy Abraham is being made available for sale. And frankly, it makes sense. And I think there's a number of Premier League clubs that would do very well to look at Tammy Tammy Abraham. If I was advising Aston Villa, I would say to look at Tammy Abraham because I think Tammy and Ollie Watkins is a pairing that could work very, very well. Chelsea need a striker. They have a buyback clause. That's one that could make sense. United are looking for a striker. I think Tammy could make sense 
for them. Now, he hasn't had a great season. That's worth pointing out. This has not been a good Tammy Abraham season. Only nine goals in 53, in 53 games. Last season, he got 27 and 53. Last season, he got 17 in the league, nine in the Conference League. This season, only one in the Europa League and only eight in the league. But Tammy has proven himself in the Premier League. That season with Chelsea, 1920, 15 goals in 34 games in a team managed by Frank Lampard, 18 in all competitions. He's obviously decimated the championship twice, once at Bristol City and once with Aston Villa. He's a guy that knows how to score goals. And he's 25 years of age. He'll turn 26 in October. His best years are still ahead of him. I think he's developed his all-round game very, very well. So I think if you look down the league, I think United would make sense. I think Villa would make sense. If Newcastle wanted to play two up, him and Issa could be interesting, but I don't think they will. I think they'll just play Issac with two wingers. And he'd be cost prohibitive for a bunch of clubs that he would make sense for. Like he'd make sense for Brighton. He'd make sense for Brentford with Tony Band, but he'd be too expensive for them. Tammy's a really good player. And he will get you goals if you give him the service. And him going is probably the best way for Roma to be able to retool their team. Don't think they need to mess about at centre-back. I think they're pretty strong there. Even as Mancini, Smalling, Kumbala and Cristante, that's five good options at centre-back. They don't need to mess about there. They've got pretty good wing-backs with, with uh, Ziki Chalik, Rick Karsdrup as a backup. He's worked his way back into Jose's good graces, having initially been told to go away. Spinozola on the other side, they've got a couple of young players that can play out wide as well. Um, he's used Zalewski there in the past. They've got a solid enough core of midfielders. I think, I think they could do with one real quality addition in midfield. Just to just to raise the level in there. Pellegrini's excellent, but he's best in that more advanced role. I really like Maddie Cameron. I'd be keeping him if I was them. Obviously, they've got Matic. I think they should try and keep Ginny Wijnaldum. He seemed to enjoy himself there. They've got Young Bove. They've got Darbo. They're good players. Cristante can obviously play in midfield as well. If they could get... Bertezzi from Sassuolo, I think he would lift that midfield to a different level. In attack, they've got Dybala, they've got Bellotti, they've got El Shawari, they've got Solbakken. Even selling Tammy, I think they can be okay if they can just bring in somebody who can replicate, you know, bring them some more goals. 
They could sell Tammy and turn him into Fratezzi and a striker. I think they'd be in great nick. Do you know what, what might actually be the smart move? Approach West Ham and offer them Tammy Abraham for, let's say the price is 50. Ask for 20 and Skimaka. I wonder if West Ham would do that. Because he apparently wants to go back to Italy. He doesn't like playing for um, for Moyes, which, you know, is kind of understandable. They paid around 30 for him. If you were to give them back basically what they paid, which would be the 30, but you're also giving them Tammy Abraham for 20 million. I think that's something that could make sense. So Swallow are also a club that will do alone with an obligation to buy. So you don't have to pay for Protezzi this year. You could maybe get him on a loan with an obligation to pay for him next summer. They've done that with Raspadori. They did it with Locatelli. That might be the play. Then you get a really good midfielder and a really good nine. And you've still got 20 million left. Now you're going to pay 5 million maybe for a loan fee. You've got 15 million left. You'll go and find a, a solid, solid midfielder. Maybe that 15 million just covers the cost of Ginny Wijnaldum. And maybe that's just what you do. You buy Ginny, you get Fratesian alone with an ob- obligation to buy. You bring Skamaka back to Italy with Tammy going back to England. I think Tammy would fit well at West Ham. And maybe you can look to add other bits on loan. But there's definitely ways to rebuild that Roma squad and make it better. There's there's good potential there. They've got some good players in their um in their youth setup. The players they have on loan, um Brian Reynolds, I think he's being sold. So that'll be some money coming in. Vigna is being sold. He's got an, uh, an option to buy at Bournemouth. And I think they're going to take that up. Uh, maybe Gonzalo Villar is sold. Patrick Clivert probably gets sold this summer. So they could cobble together enough money to do the final thing they need to do, which is to buy a new goalkeeper. I think that's vital for them is to buy a new goalkeeper. Now, even if it's a young keeper that comes in and develops under Patricio for a year, I think that's something they should do. But just because you're up against the FFP uh, apron, in in Syria, with the way a lot of clubs are willing to do loans with obligations to buy, and something Roma have done in the past, they did it with Marash Kambula, for example. I definitely think it's it's something that they could they could manipulate to their own advantage. Anyway, congrats to Sevilla. I've gone off on a tangent about Roma. Um, Christophe Galtier has confirmed that Lionel Messi will leave leave Barcelona, will leave Paris Saint-Germain after his final game against Clermont Foot on Saturday. He is not going to renew. He is going to move on and find a new chapter in his career. There has been talk of a return to Barcelona And there's obviously this talk about a move to Saudi. Now, if Saudi are really offering him a billion quid to go there for two years, 
that's what he should do. It just is like that. That creates a different. I know he's already got loads and loads of money, but that creates a different future for him. If he's got the money he's earned, that's the general generational wealth for his family. If he could get an extra billion dollars on top of that, then he could create a different type of legacy. Then he could go and buy a football club. And if he wants to buy a club in, say, Argentina, how much would it cost him to buy a club there? 30, 40, 50 million max? He's not going to buy River Plate or he's not going to buy Boca Juniors. But what if he bought Newell's Old Boys? What if that's what he did? And what if he decided to turn them into a powerhouse and invest in their academy and invest in bringing in the best young players from around from around South America and creating something that could be really, really special for them? It's not like they're a small club. It's not like they haven't had success. They've got six league titles. They've won a national cup. Now, it's been a long time since they won the national cup, but they've only won two of those league titles in the last 30 years. But what if he just did that? What if he bought them or bought into them? I don't know what their ownership situation is. Is It, it is Newell's old, boy, old boys are his... I'm I'm almost certain it is. Yeah, it is Newell's Old Boys. He's from Rosario, and I was thinking maybe it's Rosario Central, but no, it's Newell's Old Boys or his club. What if he just did that? Like and, and that means he's not actually dipping into his own money. He's just using the money the Saudis have given him. He could live out the rest of his life as owner of that club, not spend any more than just that billion running that club. I did note it was announced the other day that San Diego is to get the next MLS franchise. I believe that's something I predicted. Uh, Now, Messi won't obviously be involved in that now, although if MLS wanted to bring him in, it's possible they could speak with the owners of that franchise and say, look, here's the situation. Messi's going to get half that franchise or a third of that franchise or whatever the situation might be as part of his deal to come to the league. And you're just going to have to lump it. Um, otherwise, obviously, the other situa- the other place I suggested that would suit Messi was Phoenix. But San Diego was always the one that made the most sense to me. Good to see somebody from the MLS is listening, though, anyway. Um the other option for him, obviously, is he goes back to Barca, and there's obviously a lot of sentimental sense in that. His mate is the manager there. It's the club that he made his name at. He never really wanted to leave. And he went to PSG because Barca made such a mess of things. And maybe he does just go back and finish up there. And if he does, like nobody can criticize him. It's the tougher move. It's a tougher move than... 
Saudi Arabia, it's a tougher move than the MLS. It's a top five league. There's huge expectations. They've just won a league title. He wants another Champions League. He's been quite clear on that. He would have to obviously satisfy that in his own head if he decided that he didn't want to, um, or that he wanted to go to Saudi Arabia. He'd have to just make peace with the fact that he wouldn't win another European Cup. Wolves have decided not to take up their £4.5 million option to buy to turn Connor Cody's season-long loan into a permanent switch. Sorry, did I say Wolves? Everton have decided that. Um, So he's going back to Wolves. Um, Ruben Venegra will also return to Sporting Lisbon following his loan at the club. Now, it's surprising that Everton haven't taken up that cheap option, considering that for many months we were being told he was basically Franco Baresi. You know, such is life. Uh, There's a piece on the BBC website, which is basically masturbation over Jack Grealish, which is just not something I can be arsed with. Uh, Yuri Tielemans has bid a heartfelt farewell to Leicester City fans in a video message on his Instagram account. Listen, he spent four and a half years there. He scored the goal that won them the FA Cup. He was outstanding in the two years they finished fifth. He was pretty good last year. He sucked this year, but there was a lot of other stuff going on. I don't think they can be too upset about the fact that he's leaving. Especially given they've been relegated. There's a really good piece in the BBC website written by Garrett Vincent entitled FA Cup Final, Tommy Hutchinson, the X-Man City winger who turned into Peter Pan. I would urge everybody to go and read that. It is very, very good. Uh, Diogo Delo has signed a new contract with Manchester United. That deal will run until 2028, and there is an option to extend it further. He had a good season. I would say it's a 6 out of 10 season in general terms, but you know, for what he'd done previously, I would say 6 out of 10. I'm oh, sorry, I would say it was a good season. But one of my issues with United is players go there on long contracts, stink the place out for the majority of the time they're there, have a good season and get a new contract. De Gea has been dreadful for years now getting a new contract because he had a pretty good season. Luke Shaw has had two good seasons in the nine years he's been there. New contract. United don't seem to have grasped onto the fact that people do perform better when they've got an ob- like some sort of carrot at the end of it. You know, that new contract. When they're trying to secure themselves the bag players will play better. When you give them the contract, they get real comfortable. Remember Adnan Yanazai and how exciting he looked and then they gave him a big contract and then he sucked the life out of the place? Yeah, that'll happen again. Right, we'll do the gossip and then we'll go to break. When we come back, we've got a bunch of questions. Manchester United have agreed personal terms with Chelsea midfielder Mason Mount, although the Old Trafford Club are yet to agree a transfer fee with Chelsea. 
Uh, this was written by, I think, Jason Burt and James Ducker in the Telegraph based off something someone on Twitter told them. Uh, and by told them, I mean sold them. Um, England defender Harry Maguire could get £10 million from Manchester United if he leaves the club this summer. I would guess... I would guess that's some sort of loyalty bonus in his contract. That if they sell him and he doesn't ask to leave, they have to pay him out a full year's full year's pay. Harry Maguire is in about two hundred grand a week. That's ten million. Newcastle United have offered Bruno Gomerish two hundred thousand a week to ward off interest from Liverpool, Real Madrid, and Barcelona. That is a significant chunk of change. Liverpool are in talks to sign Alexis McAllister with personal terms and, oh, sorry, over personal terms and hope to complete the signing from Brighton next week. Now, that is from Fabrizio Romano, who has tweeted out the same thing 15 different times, just worded differently, proving that he has no idea what's going on. Uh, He's just copying what's been said by the reliable journalists from Argentina who are close to the player's family and have updated along the way. Joao Felix has been offered to Newcastle on a loan deal. I doubt that's true. Ruben Loftus-Cheek has agreed to leave Chelsea for AC Milan as the Serie A side prepared £13 million offer. I think that's probably about a fair offer. Um, Harry Kane only wants to sign for Manchester United this summer. I doubt that's true. Real Madrid could move for Kane should Karim Benzema accept a big money offer to play in Saudi Arabia. Tottenham will step up their interest in Ange Postacoglu after his Celtic side have played in Saturday's Scottish Cup final. Chelsea will look to sell Kaladu Koulibaly, who was a £33 million signing from Napoli last summer. They'll probably get 15 back from. Chelsea have given permission for Manchester City to open talks with Mateo Kovacic. I think that's a sensible move for the player and for City. Don't think it's all that sensible for Chelsea, to be honest. He's one of the best players at the club. Um, But yeah, he makes a lot of sense for City. Manchester United, Barcelona and Inter Milan are interested in Benjamin Pavard, who does not want to renew his contract at Bayern Munich. He's at a contract next summer. He'll be a decent buy for somebody. Yasir Al-Mizahal, president of the Saudi Arabian FA, says he would personally like to see Al-Halil-linked Lionel Messi play in their pro league and complete the great leap made by Cristiano Ronaldo following his move to Al-Nazir in January, which turned out to be a bit of a disaster for everybody involved. Uh, Sam Allardyce's tenure as, as Leeds manager is expected to end on Thursday when the former club is former Bolton and West Ham boss is due to meet the club's hierarchy. I mean, nobody thought he was staying. So, you know, Arsenal have offered to triple William Saliba's wages in a new contract worth 120 grand a week, but fear losing him to Paris Saint-Germain. I said when they gave Saka the new deal, Saliba's price just went up. There's no way he's taking that deal. Burnley are interested in Fabian Ruiz and Paris Saint-Germain are willing to sell the 27-year-old. That would be that would be an incredible signing for Burnley. Nottingham Forest are looking to sell John Joe Shelby, who they signed from Newcastle in January. Why did they sign him? What a strange move. 
Right, we'll take a break. When we come back, I think we have seven questions in total, so we'll get into those. See you in a sec. Right, welcome back. So, Guy has pointed out that if Tammy Abraham is coming back to England, Spurs will probably be a contender as well because they might be losing Harry Kane this summer. Uh, So that is absolutely spot on. All right, we are into questions, and the first one actually comes from Guy. Are Saudi trying to buy players to boost their hopes of getting the World Cup? They are one of the the countries looking to host the World Cup in the near future. Or are they genuinely trying to improve the league? I think it's the former. I think they're trying to attract interest so that they can host a World Cup. I think they're trying to attract interest into the games so that people will watch and say, oh, look how good that stadium looks in the hope that they'll get the World Cup. I don't think they're making any real strides towards improving their league. If they wanted to try and improve their league, what they would do is they would buy mid-level players in their primes from Spain, Italy, Portugal, places like that. They pay them a boatload of money and they build a competitive league. A league that could compete with, you know, maybe Portugal, maybe the Netherlands. I think that would be what they'd do. They'd set up a pipeline to bring in players from Africa, the most talented youngsters into academies in in Saudi and develop them that way. They'd, span all of Asia to snap up the best young players and bring them in. They'd set up scouting networks in South America and bring players directly in from there. This Messi, Cristiano, Benzema, this is two things. This is, I've got more money than you and we want the World Cup. Give us the World Cup. Look at how good our infrastructure is. Yeah, it's absolutely the ego play. It absolutely is the ego play. Next up is Alex. Alex asks, what are some of the best rivalries between players who either played for the same club but a rival national team or the same national team but rival clubs? So club but the same national team I don't think there are many great rivalries in that regard because you look back, I think about when Maradona was at Napoli with Correca. He was Argentina's star, obviously, and Correca was Brazil's number nine. They were really close friends, even though from a, a nationality point of view, there was that super strong rivalry. Because I think you bond more with your club mates than you do with your national teammates. You spend a lot more time with them. So, Yes, you've got probably more things in common with the players in your national team, but you're certainly closer to the players you play at club level with. You see them every single day. In terms of national team, Kevin De Bruyne versus Thibaut Courtois has always been an interesting one. Now, that's not based on anything football-related. That's based on the fact that Courtois nicked his misses. And KDB didn't work out too bad in that regard. But, you know, that's one. But the one that always stuck out to me was it's not one player. Well, it, there's two examples of this. One is 
the England team back in the quote-unquote golden generation where the United players wouldn't talk to the Arsenal players, the Chelsea players wouldn't talk to either the Liverpool contingent plus whoever else was there would then kind of keep to themselves. That was always interesting. But the one I've always liked is the Real versus Barca one. Piqué and Ramos don't like each other. Played together for Spain for years. Played side by side for years for Spain. Won major tournaments side by side. Don't like each other at all. There was rumours that Iker Casillas and Carlos Puyol didn't like each other. The Barcelona versus Real rivalry is much more than just football. It's an imperialist, an imperial government from the past against that Catalonian desire for independence. And Puyol for many years was seen as sort of one of the one of the leading people in the Catalan push. Not that he was doing anything himself. More that he was such a recognizable figure as the captain of Barcelona, as you know, a figurehead for that club. He is from sort of rural Catalonia. He ha- he does have a strong desire, stated desire for independence. He has played for the Catalonia national team for you know. It's it's not I don't think recognized by FIFA but they do have their own national team. And he is someone that has put his name forward and played for them, along with with others. Um, You know, Iniesta was another. He, by all accounts, didn't get on with some of the Real people. So that's that's always been the one that stood out to me, was that, that rivalry between the Real players and the Barca players within the Spanish squad. And the fact that they were still able to come together and have such incredible success. So that that would be my answer there. Uh, Moving on. Uh, Lee Bannon. Question for Thursday's pod. For the new system, choose three midfielders and one defender to buy this summer, but choose all four of them from the same country. Pick your dream signings then realistic FSG ones. Okay. Okay. Um, You could go all French. You could go all French. You could go Lukeba as the left side centre-back. Pony and Turam and Michael Elise, who's a French international. So I think that would be a really good summer if you got those four. You could go Italian. Bastoni is the centre-back. Barella, Fratesi. The third midfielder is, is tough. Italy aren't blessed with a ton of established high-end midfielders at the moment. Verratti's past the point you'd want to buy him. 
I like Pellegrini, but I do worry about the injuries with him. I do like Locatelli. I wouldn't be against Locatelli. Tonali, again, he's a good player. Samuel Ricci's a good player, or Ricky. I do like him. I do like watching him play for Torino. Uh, Maretta and Fagioli, Fagioli of Juve are both really good. Juve? Juve are really good. Um, hmm. Who would be my third? Maybe him. Maybe Samuel Ricky. Now it would be. Yeah, that's who I go with. Yeah. Bastoni, Samuel Ricci, or Ricky, Ricky, whatever his name is. <laughs> Barella and Fratesi. That's that's what I would go with from Italy. Um Could we go, we could go Dutch. They don't really have the midfielders that I'm looking for, but they do have some good midfielders. Uh, you could go Mickey van der Veen as the left side centre back. In midfield, you could go Mats Viefer of Feyenoord as your defensive midfielder. Frankie De Jong and Javi Simmons. That might work. That might work. I'm not having. Oh, you, you could look if you were stuck. You could go Gravenberch, but give me Javi Simmons over him. Um, Frankie Simmons, FIFA. And Van der Veen, that's probably what I'd go with. And to stick with the Dutch theme, I really like Gertruda from Feyenoord. So he could be your Trent backup as well. So you could stick with the Dutch team. Um, Verbruggen as the backup goalkeeper. You could do all your shopping with Dutch players. Now, the midfield is not what I would want, but Verbruggen... Van de Veen and Gertrude would be brilliant, like genuinely brilliant additions. So I'd be happy with those. And I think the Dutch model, bar Frankie, makes more sense for FSG because the players would be that bit cheaper. So maybe you'd have to go Gravenberch over Frankie, which does kind of spoil it a little bit. For FSG, I think this the Italians or the French, because... Cost-wise, I mean, Elise is probably 45, 50 million. Turam's probably 45. Kone's 35, 30 maybe. And Lukeba, I think, is probably 35 maybe as well, maybe 30. So you're probably getting the lot of them. for. Let's say you get the lot of them for 150 million. 150 to 170 million. That boxes off those four spots. And I think everybody's happy. 
I think everybody will be very happy. And Michael Lease is an unbelievable player. Now, he's a bit of a cheat, obviously, because he's not uh, French-born, but he is a French underage international and I assume will soon become a a full international with the French squad. Um, he He's an outrageously good player. Um. Yeah, yeah, that's what I would do. Olise, Turam, Kone, and Lukeba. And to my knowledge, they've all played together for the under-21 team with France. They should all know each other. And we'll stick with the French theme, and we'll bring in Bradley Barcola as a wide attacker, a bit of depth there, which is needed. Um... We'll go Albin Lafont as the backup goalkeeper. The only thing I don't think they can give me is the Trent cover that I'm looking for. Um, now, Johan Le Pennant could, in theory, play that role. I'm almost certain he's played right back at least once or twice in the past, and he's a very good midfielder. But yeah, I'd be all on board with getting in a whole raft of French players because I think that's, from a national team point of view, I just think I think they should dominate. Now, they obviously didn't win the last World Cup, but they did get to the final. I, I expect them to win at least one more World Cup. From the next two, at least one, I think they win. Uh, moving on. Fuck 1977. Obviously, the 100 million fee is ridiculous, but Jack Greeley, Jack Greeley, Jack Greeley's clearly rebounded to fill a very specific attacking role. High pass under pressure, pressure, dribble progression to box. Three thoughts on his 2022-23 season. Uh, the same disappointing player we saw last season up until the World Cup came back from the World Cup and was hit and miss for about a month. And then from about February on, found a good run of form. I think he has been pretty consistently good since then. But I will say the entire team sort of picked up around then, so I don't know if that's more to do with him or to do with the fact that the team was just playing better. Um, But, yeah, I mean, he's he's definitely finishing the season on a high. Foden being in and out with injuries and and whatever else has helped because it's meant he's gotten a consistent run of games with no pressure on being dropped. I think I think Grealish is a player that massively relies on confidence and wants to be wants to be certain that he's going to be in the team. But yeah, I mean it's a good a good four month run, and you know, long may it continue for him. Uh, AMK two eight eight nine because Klopp and Co are clearly incapable of allowing the proper players to exit when they should. I took it upon myself to straighten my tie and do what's needed, although. <laughs> Although it was only on FIFA, I have to say I enjoyed it quite much. Below are the players I sold during my career mode and what they went for. Up first is our fearless leader, Captain Hendo. From Sunes to Stevie G, no one took the captaincy role as seriously as Henderson. Seriously, if he worked in Burger King, he would think he was the Burger King. <laughs> sold to Juve for $24 million. Figured with all the horrible deals and contracts they've made over the last few years, Hendo for that money was right up the rally. Uh, okay, Ox to Atalanta for 10.5 million. 
uh, Kelleher for four million and Patrick Bamford agreed Bamford to a two year deal, thirty five grand as a sporadic domestic cup player, but will use him in occasional league games. Bobby to Sevilla for thirty six point nine million. Harvey to Newcastle for twenty three. Nat Phillips to Wolfsburg for just over four million. Nabi to Real Sociedad for eighteen million. Milner to Sporting Lisbon for 1.5 million and Satiris Alexandropoulos. Alexandropoulos? Alexandropoulos. Uh, agreed a prospect contract for Satiris and mainly wanted for depth for the FA and League Cup games. How would you feel about these transfers if they were real? I'd be delighted if Henderson left at any price, so you're, you're well on the way there. I think Ox to Atalanta is the type of move that would, that could have been done last summer. There was definitely interest in him from Serie A. I don't know specific clubs, but I know his agent flew to Italy and met with a couple of different clubs. So I think that's a realistic move. Kelleher for Bamford and four million, I wouldn't go for purely because Bamford's just always injured and it just it would worry me. Um, Bobby to Sevilla for thirty-seven million, I definitely get on board with that. I mean, I love Bobby, but. We could have got that kind of money. You absolutely jump at it. Harvey to Newcastle for 23 million. I would sell Harvey Elliott. I've said it before. I think he's very talented. Just don't think he's Liverpool talented. I don't think he's big enough or strong enough. And I think by the time he's ready to contribute regularly for a top level Premier League team, Liverpool will be moved on to a different level. Um, but that, that fee's a little bit low, but I do like the idea. Uh, Nat Phillips to Wolfsburg for 4 million. Yeah, fully on board. Fully on board with that. Nabi the Real Saucy that for 18 million. Again, it's a move makes sense for everybody. La Liga would suit him. He would suit how they play. We'd have got money. Everybody wins in that regard. Uh, Milner to Sporting for 1.5 million and Satiros Alexandropoulos. Um, Milner for money, I would have been on board with that at any point. Uh, Satiros is really, really promising, though. Really, really promising. Now, they only bought him last summer from Panikonaitos, but they have big, big hopes for him. He can play centre-back. He can play... He's primarily a defensive midfielder, but he can play centre-back in a two or a three as well. I'd be on board with with that, without question. Um, Yeah, I I, I like what you're doing. I do. I like what you're doing. Uh, I particularly like the idea of selling Henderson. And somebody actually giving us real money for it. Uh, Henners East, go over the last two years of transfer windows, improve our team to an acceptable level. No player can cost more than 20 million. I'd be interested to hear who you could find. I don't think you need to spend 300 million if you're smart and proactive. I'm going to come back to that one. Uh, Matt JT, if you were the advisor for some of the EPL coaches, Some of the EPL coaches fired this year. Where would you advise them to go next in their careers to get them back on track? Scott Parker, Bruno Lage, Stephen Gerrard, Ralph Hasenhutl, Frank Lampard, Jesse Marsh, Nathan Jones, Patrick Vieira, Antonio Conte, Brendan Rodgers and Graham Potter. Right, let's go in reverse order. Graham Potter, if West Ham do what they need to do and tell Moyes it's time, good luck, that's where I would tell Potter to go. Assuming they don't, I'd say sit out a while and wait. There'll be a mid-level job in the Premier League that comes up. 
But I do like the idea of a palace, actually. Do you know what? We'll say palace. West Ham would be the best fit, but we'll say palace. Rogers. Honestly, I'd tell him to go abroad. He speaks Portuguese and Spanish. I think he speaks a bit of Italian as well. I tell him to go abroad and experience something different and maybe learn a different culture and get used to working in a structure where you're not the decision maker, where you're not the one picking the players and selling the players. You're just the one coaching the team, picking the team and getting the team ready. So I think that might might put Brett, Brendan in a better mind frame for the future. Um, so I would say go abroad. Now, in terms of clubs, I, I don't know what's going to be available but I do think he could he could benefit hugely from a spell in, in Serie A from a tactical point of view, especially the defensive side of the game. But I think his football would translate better to Portugal or Spain. If Ruben Amram leaves sporting, that might be the spot for Rodgers. Uh, Conte, Juve. Juve, it's, they need you... You don't need them, but that's a good fit. It's a big club. They'll pay you loads of money and they're always willing to spend some money and they don't mind loading up on old players. So yeah, Juve. Patrick Vieira. I quite like the Leicester job for him, if I'm honest. Take a step down. Rebuild. I think it's a two-year rebuild to get them back up. And I think Vieira could be the right kind of manager for them. I, I would say be careful where you pick, though. Be certain that you know what the long-term view of the club is before you take a job. Uh, Nathan Jones. Nathan Jones is a good lower league manager. If there's a good club in League One, Without a manager, Nathan Jones is the best you could hope for. If there's a club, I don't know if he can get a club promoted from the championship, though, is the thing. I know he can get them into the playoff spots, though. Saw that last season. And he left them in a decent enough nick this season. So I would say, Nathan Jones, go back down to the lower leagues. But wherever you go, commit. Stop eyeing up other jobs. Stop looking outside your box. Take a job, sign a contract, and work that contract. And earn another contract. But when you sign that contract, sign it knowing you're staying. Don't look at your Stokes or your whoever. Just pick a club, invest yourself into it, and bring them to the Premier League yourself, organically. Jesse Marsh an interesting one. I'd like to see Jesse Marsh manage the U.S. men's national team. That's what I'd like to see him do. Um, but I do think he could be a successful club manager. I do. If Ange leaves Celtic, I would take Jesse Marsh at Celtic. I think that's the type of move that would rebuild his confidence as well. Go there, you'll win stuff. Yeah, I'd take Jesse Marsh at Celtic if Ange leaves. Um, Frank Lampard, call Sky and BT, tell them you're done with the management lark and you're going to go and be a pundit. Genuinely. Because you're a garbage manager. 
Hasenhut will go back to Germany, go back to the Bundesliga. There's definitely going to be clubs that will want you. It'll just fit better. Steven Gerrard. I don't think he's a good manager. I think he's a better manager than Lampard, but not by much. I would say the best thing Gerrard could do is go and look for a League One caliber job. Because that, to me, is his level right now, is League One. He's not even a championship caliber manager, I don't think. Go and learn, like Kieran McKenna did. Actually, what I would tell him to do is go and be an assistant somewhere. Not at Liverpool, not at a club where you've got any kind of sway. Go and find an experienced manager who's willing to let you work next to him or under him, obviously, and learn and do that for a couple of years. Maybe give Eddie Howe a ring. Maybe give Eddie Howe a ring and go and work with him for a year or two. Two years. Go and work with him for two years and then reassess. Uh, Bruno Lage. I think Bruno Lage is a good manager. I think his style of football would suit Serie A. So if I was him, that's what I'd suggest doing. I don't know if he speaks any Italian. Uh, Scott Parker, there'll always be a championship club that will take Scott Parker because he's got two promotions on his name. So if you're a mid-level championship club, and I think that's what Parker, you know, if Norwich comes up or Watford, not Watford because they'll sack you after four weeks. If Norwich comes up again, I'd, I'd say throw your name into the hat for that one. Right, Henner's East. Um, The last two transfer windows, looking for players that cost no more than 20 million. And can I rebuild everything? Is that is that okay? Can I do the whole lot? Um, the first player I'm going to buy, I think, just make sure that the fee is right. Yes, I'm going to take Tyler Adams for for the full twenty million, and he's going to be my backup to Trent. So now I've boxed off the backup right back and one of my backup midfielders. So that's fine. I've got Virgil and Kanate as my starters. I am going to bring in, as a backup centre-back, Armel Belakocha. Believe the fee was $18 million. No, it wasn't. It was $8 million. So I'm going to definitely take him. Definitely take him. So that's one centre-back spot boxed off. I assume I'm rebuilding it for the new shape. Ah, well, we'll go with the new shape. Um, if I've got Trenton Adams, Kanata and Belakotchup, I'll just keep Virgil and Gomez for now. I'm looking for a left-footed centre-back who can also play as, as a left back. And then I'll have Robbo as the backup because when we want to play a traditional back for Robbo can fit. Um, it has to be somebody that's moved. 
within that time. So I think the obvious one is the one that's currently being linked is Mickey Vandeveen. Now, he he moved in the summer of 2021. So that does count, doesn't it? Last two years of transfer windows. So I assume we can count him. And he moved for three and a half million from Volendam. And I refuse to believe that he wasn't someone that our data team picked up on. So I'm going to go with him. Midfield. Midfield is... Moises Caicedo. Do you know what? I'll build it for the old shape because it's just easier, isn't it? So we'll take... We'll take Van de Veen as a backup to Virgil and we'll just move Gomez on. And we'll look for a left back. And I think the left back I want is going to be affordable. Yes, he is. Definitely moved in the time frame as well. And he moved for, I think, like four million, maybe. Milos Kirkes. Milos Kerkes of uh, Ezer Alkmaar, the young Hungarian left-back. He'd have been one to bring in and develop, obviously. Actually, do you know what? We won't say him. We'll go Purvis Estupinen. We won't go too, too rogue. We'll go Purvis Estupinen. 25 years of age. Cost... I believe 16 million might have been 18. So we'll go with him. I think he's perfect. Come in, back up Robbo for a year and then and then kick on. So now I must ask the question, do I need Tyler Adams? I'm gonna keep him anyway. I'm gonna keep him anyway. So I've got Trent. And Adams, I should be probably writing this down. So Adams was 20. Bella Kotchup was 8. Van der Veen was, did I say 3.5? We'll say 4. And Estupinen was, what was he? 16, 17, 18, something. We'll say 18. We'll go on the high end. So that's the defense for a sum total of 50 million. It's not bad. It's not bad at all. Um, we st- we ha- still have the same... Starting defence, although I think Purvis would take Robbo's spot. But your defence is basically boxed off. It is boxed off. Trenton Adams, Kanate Belakotchup, Virgil and Van Deveen, Robertson and Astupinen. That's that sorted. Goalkeeper is fine. Unless Kelleher leaves, it's grand. Don't need to do anything there. Um, midfield. Fabinho, Thiago, 
and let's say Curtis Jones, they're your backups. So you're looking for three starters. Jones, Fabinho, and Thiago. Obvious one, Enzo Fernandez moved to Benfica, I think, for 16 million, including the add-ons. So we'll go with 16. Um, I think the next one is fairly obvious and easy as well. Moises Caicedo. Oh, it's over two years ago. So we can't have Moises because he moved two and a half years ago to Brighton. So we can't take him. That's a shame. That's a shame. Um, Kamara. Bubakar Kamara on a free is definitely a nice option, but I'm going to take Manuel Ugarte instead who moved for 6.5 million, would you believe? Uh, Manuel Ugart. And I think I'm right with my last pick. Someone I mentioned earlier. I believe he moved to Crystal Palace for 8 million. And that is Michael Olise. Eight million. So that is thirty point five million on a midfield of Enzo Ugart and Alise. Anyone think that's not a midfield that could win you a league title or two? Uh in attack. I will assume we're just keeping the players that we have. So Salah will start on the right. I'm just going to say Gakbo through the middle because I think that's what's most likely. But uh, And then Diaz on the left. Now I'm just going to put Jota down as the backup to Salah because other than scoring goals, Diogo Jota doesn't really do a whole lot. Darwin will be the backup nine. I don't care about his assists. Assists are meaningless. Um, we need a left winger. And that fits perfectly into who we're going to take. Kavicha uh, Kvalachkelia went to Napoli for uh, 10 million. So we'll just take him and uh, he and Luis Diaz can battle it out for minutes there. That is 10 million. So that is 10 million. So that is 90.5 million. Tyler Adams, Amel Belakotchup, Mickey Van de Veen, Purvis Estupinen, Michael Elise, Manu Lugart, Enzo Fernandez and Kavicha Kvalachkelia. Um You could also sell Jota and you could have taken in um, Alvarez. There's loads, there's loads of, op- of options. But yeah, 90.5 million. They're a decent backup keeper that moved. If we wanted just to sell Kelleher. Um, 
don't think a good goalkeeper as they've moved in the last two years does not. You know what? I'll just take Gavin Basuna because I like Gavin Basuna more than I like Kelleher, and it annoys certain people. So um, I think he moved for twelve million. So if you want to sell Kelleher, you could do that and you'd be fine. But either way, look, it does just go to show there are always, always, always really good bargains to be had. If you're willing to trust the people that do recruitment as a living, if coaches are willing to listen to people who know more than they do about players, I I think you can rebuild for bargain fees. Like Olise Ugart and Enzo Fernandez as a midfield three for 30 million. That's ridiculous. And like, the thing is, you didn't have to buy them and immediately throw them in the team because you had Fabinho, you had Thiago, you have Jones, you have Naby Keita, you have Ox, you have Henderson. You didn't have to start them all straight away. You could have eased them into the team. Yeah. Yeah, there we go. Right, that'll do. Thanks for listening, everybody. I will see you all tomorrow. Take care of yourselves. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.